Welcome to the Peppered Podcast, where food and beverage marketing professionals get seasoned talk on how to grow and manage their brands. Hey everyone, this is Jamie Allabach coming at you on the Peppered Podcast. My guest on the show today is Dan Felice. He's executive chef and founder of both Felice Consulting and the Food Trend Translator. Dan works with food manufacturers and restaurants in both food service and retail, helping companies with innovation, insights, training, uh, menu and recipe ideation, and, and, and much more within the food and beverage space. Um, in the food and beverage biz, we know that innovation is a powerful influence uh, with consumers and a strong driving force for brands. And most innovation is driven by consumer trends. So knowing what the current trends are and hitting them at the right time can make or break a food or beverage brand. So on this episode of the Pepper Podcast, we're going to dig deep into food trends. So let's join Dan on the show and talk trends. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Pepper Podcast. I'm excited to have you on the show. Jamie, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. Yep, me too as well. So uh, trends, you know, they're they're a hot topic with with food and beverage brands and companies. And from my perspective, what I often see is they're kind of scrambling to stay current with consumer trends and and really be that first to market with things. And trends really kind of dictate that. You know, and there's a lot of things that drive food and beverage trends. But let's let's start our conversation off with maybe clarifying a few terms. So, I mean, as marketers, we all know macro trends, micro trends. But in layman's terms, what's the difference between the two? Yeah, in layman's terms, obviously, it's the, the macro micro is large and small. But in my world, I, I like to speak to the macro being more of a lifestyle trend as we're talking about food um, and and whether it's retail or, or going to um, a national chain account business restaurant, it's it's always more of a lifestyle perspective on things. And micro to me uh, always kind of boils down to more of the flavor or a particular um, product or component that can fit into that macro trend. Yeah, okay. Hey, that makes sense. That even that even dumbs it down, dumbs it down for me. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we can even take it a step further and you know and, and talk a little further about. Can you give me some examples of what you would consider maybe the most influential macro trends that are currently out there? Uh, yeah, actually, it's, it's kind of surprising what's going on with macro trends. They're really bleeding the lines into areas of non-conventional food areas. And what I'm speaking about is like personalized nutrition. So you're seeing a lot of things like collagen, which is typically, you know, a skin moisturizer product seen in, in, a, in a lady's product is now being blended into beverages and smoothies. So that's kind of pretty cool. It's very influential, very groundbreaking. Um, transparency. Uh, cannabis is really hitting a lot of that because it touches health and wellness as well as, you know, edible and, and has a lot of different things for you. Instagrammable foods, 
another uh, very influential, very influential trend, actually. Um, and, and I focus a lot on flexitarian. I think that's a really important uh, trend to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple that that are that are right in right in my zone. I mean, collagen. I mean, I've been I've been putting that in my smoothies for about four years. I find it really helps with um, you know with joint recovery and things like that. So that's right up. And I mean, everybody knows that 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 hemp and cannabis, man, these are these are what I would consider super hot trends. I mean, anything anything with 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 cannabis and hemp tied to it. Retailers and buyers and consumers on the like are just like all over it. I mean, yeah, that's are definitely you seeing a, that as well. Yeah, recently, you know, in, in my market, I'm based in Wisconsin, and there's still confusion around CBD oils and the, you know, not so much the benefits, but the laws themselves. So, you know, I recall a few years back, I was out in Colorado when they really had just. Uh, legalized cannabis and not just CBD oils. But, um, you know, it was, it's just very confusing. People get crazy about it. They get excited because it's been, you know, a no, no for so long. Uh, so it definitely is, is becoming a big item. And a lot of people are poised to take a lot of action on it as soon as it is legal and taxable in the right ways. Right. But I, I, you know, just thinking about, as you mentioned that, I mean, I think that is a great example of, of, of a macro trend that has really gained traction. And when you think about it now, so when I, when I think, so I'm just thinking kind of in my world here, I'm not an expert on hemp, but when I think of, of, of how hemp has come on the scene and we're seeing, we, you know, we started seeing it kind of as an ingredient like hemp seeds and hemp hearts and things like that to add into things. And now you're seeing it really kind of surface in in what I would consider CPG products with, you know, with hemp in it. So they're branding that, that hemp peeps. And and I think, I think the sky's the limit with hemp. So I think that's a, that's a great example of, of, of a trend that's not just a, 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 a micro trend or a fad. It's something that really is a platform that that food and beverage brands are going to be building on, in my opinion, for the next five to ten years. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really that that ability to cross multiple areas and influence many things is what makes that a macro trend, and and being able to cannabis or you know just CBD or hemp itself, you know, those are all three different words that mean different things yeah, <laughs> inside that yeah. world, but. You know, the start of the plant itself, the cannabis and the hemp, you know, it's it started, you know, showing up in in your clothes as as fabric. You know, people may not remember, but, you know, ropes back in the school gyms were made of hemp uh, because of their strength and durability. So uh, as as people realize or minds are changed about the um, other effects and possibilities, it will be continued. And it's just got I would say it's got 15, 20 years of development. It's it's got a long long ways to go, yep, and it's going to be exciting. I would agree with that. So, staying with that whole idea of macro trends. So, how do macro trends like these, the examples that you gave, and hemp is just one of them. How do they affect marketing professionals in the food and beverage space? In other words, you know, for for a brand manager or for a company or for an entrepreneur to really be able to latch on and identify these trends, how does it impact them from a professional perspective? Yeah, um, 
I would I would say that well let's focus let's, let's speak of a particular macro trend we just talked a lot about the cannabis part there's another one in there in the food space that hits food and beverage that is a little bit easier for most people to approach and I call that the flexitarian well I don't call it that it's what it's what it's called <laughs> um, but the flexitarian uh, macro trend is really giving a lot of people the opportunity to explore things and and be able to try stuff that they wouldn't try. And what flexitarian is, in layman's terms, is really about giving yourself an opportunity or a gateway into um, dabbling into veganism or vegetarian or plant-based type of food products. And that's going to touch, well, it's already touching very, very heavily quick and quite quickly, you know, the world of, of plant options like the Impossible Burger. But where it really hasn't quite gotten as much notice is in the beverage world. And I think we're going to see see more of that happening. Um, a lot of beverages are based in plants, but not quite focused or highlighting the plant part itself. And that's where I think it's going to start influencing that part. So, you know, marketers like you and I, uh, you know, I've got the culinary perspective on it all the time. So it's about really applying that product or that macro trend into um, bringing it to market so people see it in a way that it's approachable. And that's really um, the key for me is to make what we create an application that's approachable and, and has all those buzzwords around it as well. Yeah, so translating it so that people kind of get it, what it, what it exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, and look, it's my show. If you want to take credit for the flexitarian thing, that's cool with me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some arguments there, but I, I, I do speak to that a lot. I think it's just an easy, easy um, macro trend to consider. Uh, you know, there's there's so many people fearful of their meat-based product or something else that doesn't quite fit into the menu because it's not uh, vegan, but... You know, there's there's concepts or restaurants out there testing it and doing a whole lot of neat things with it, and they're taking something as simple as a vegan aioli um, and putting it on a on a turkey club sandwich. This was done at Le Pan Quotidian, and um, you know, it's kind of like maybe scratch my head for a second. Like you're putting vegan aioli, basically a a vegetarian mayonnaise, on a turkey and bacon club sandwich. Well, how does that even Makes sense, or why does it even matter? I guess is the bigger question. And the point was is that people were still willing to explore it. They actually had really good sales and purchase intent um, and uniqueness on onto it because they put that buzzword of vegan aioli into a traditional format, something people understand. Everyone gets a club sandwich, um, but they're okay trying to explore and break into that flexitarian world by having vegan aioli on it. And look, some of that stuff just tastes good. I mean, I I love the avocado mayonnaise. I love the coconut-based mayonnaise. And I don't, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but I I eat it just because it it, it tastes good and it's it, it's better for me. Yeah, well, you've hit the nail on the head. That's the whole reason anybody goes back for seconds on something is because it tastes good. There's that word. I use it all the time. It's, if it doesn't taste good, you got a problem in our business. 
Yeah, it's all about flavor. Yeah. So as a as a chef, as a chef and an innovator, how do these some of these macro trends that we're talking about? How do they affect how you work and what you do and and when you look for them, or even even in the early stages of some of these macro trends? How do you even identify it as something that's going to have the, the 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 lasting sustainability of of a, of a macro trend? You, you want to consider what's going on, and macro trends don't change as quickly as micro trends, so you're a little bit safer, I think, when you approach macro trends and consider what it is you're developing. If it's new product development, um, you can really start from a, a clear blank slate and, and build it around that macro trend, and you'll probably have some good success doing that. If it's an existing product, which is often what I take a look at is positioning that product into, you know, making it a component of uh, giving them the ways to leverage that. So I'm always thinking about the macro trend um, and trying to put it into the uh, into a place that people are going to feel comfortable, uh, you know, picking it up and, and consuming it. So, uh, yeah, you've always got to have that. Searching for nutrition and health and wellness is, is just a basic go-to for most of my thought process. And, and is there is there an aspect to some of these things where where they stand the test of time and then that defines them? So I remember back, um, you know, we, we helped launch the Atkins brand back in the mid in the mid nineties and there were so many people that were saying, you know, this is not gonna last, it's just a fad, it's just this. But <laughs> it really evolved into this low carb phenomena, this low-carb lifestyle that's still around today. So people were saying, that's ah, not going to last, it's fatty, it's just not, it's not, you know, it doesn't have sustainability, it's just going to peter out. And I kept saying, hmm, boy, this is, you know, it might it might level out and not, not keep skyrocketing the way it is, but I think this is something that people are going to cling to for for a long time. So is there that kind of window of, of, of time where some of these things can either either die out and not live up to the macro trend or, you know, get the legs to keep going that would really define it as a macro trend? Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree that there's definitely uh, at some point, not every product makes it or, or concept because when we're talking macro, we're talking a bigger thought process. Um, it's much easier to define a micro trend that doesn't make it <laughs> than it is the macros. And and you're right, you know what you call that, you know, low carb um, versus Atkins, you know, may kind of resonate different with a different generation. Uh, of people, you know, millennials versus, you know, Gen Xers and, and so on, uh, what that really means, you know. So, you know, I just saw an article the other day about cottage cheese is now positioned to become, you know, the next new millennial high clean protein product because they're just haven't, they haven't been exposed to it. You know, it's kind of, it's been on the shelf, but no one's really done anything with it. So, you know, it's not the product that's more of uh, um, the macro trend, but the macro trend is about the lifestyle. And does it fit into what today's health and wellness um, expectations are? You know, back in the 80s, it was, and 90s, like you said, Atkins, no fat, no bread, no sugar. 
and then and then it be kind of transformed into uh, farm to fork, and then it's transformed into more of you know better for you, cleaner label, um, recognizable ingredients from grandma's cupboard kind of thing. And so now it's even going a step further into functional ingredients that are you know going to be better for your gut and brain food and collagen to help you you know your joints recover and your skin to and your face to glow after you have a smoothie kind of deal. So um, yeah, some die and, and and some continue to push the boundaries to become even bigger and better. Right. So let's shift to, to micro, micro trends. Can share, just like you did with the macro, give me some examples of what you would consider, you know, current micro trends. Uh, current micro trends are really, um, oh, God, there's so many of them. You know, it's, it's um, really about flavors. I, let me give you an example of, of a micro trend that's made it all the way to the top. Um and, and others that have struggled. Uh, harissa is a flavor, uh, a micro trend that fits a lot of things in the macro trend world. It's, it's, a, it's a spicy flavor. It's European, Middle Eastern, um, and it's got, you know, a little bit of heat, but not too much. But you still don't hear a lot about it. Uh, it, it it's, it's kind of been wallowing in the background and it may or may not actually come all the way forward. Now, a very similar product is Sriracha. And sriracha isn't even a particular pepper. Uh, it's, it's a blend named after a small village uh, that the the creator of the of that sauce came from. And uh, that product came on the scene was only used in restaurants uh, as a as a sauce enhancer or a flavor or maybe a little dot on a plate as a decoration. Um, that's how I used it in the '90s, actually, in the restaurants and hotels. And you know, nowadays it's being, you know, squirted and blended on top of McDonald's burgers. So, you know, it skyrocketed. It actually went quite, quite quickly compared to others. And so that's a great example of, of a micro trend blasting its way through, you know, the whole menu adoption cycle of going from beginning to, to full, you know, maturity. Yeah. And that, that, in my mind, that really helps to to clarify the difference between the two. So if we, you know, just to put it in context of, of when we were talking the macros that you previously mentioned. So a sriracha being a micro trend, how is that significantly different than like, like hemp or cannabis being a macro trend? I mean, I, I see it in my, in my mind right now very clearly, but I want to explain it to the listening audience what the difference there is. Because it is, I mean, there, how many people would look at, look at sriracha and say, you know, oh, boy, you know, it's exploding, you know, everywhere. It's, it's hot on menus. There's so many different types of, you know, you know, you know, sauces out there to use. And, you know, they're naming this. You see it on chips. You see it everywhere. So it must be a macro trend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Define the difference for me a little bit. Yeah, I would, and, and that's a good point because it, people might think that is a macro trend. And I would say, you know, to understand that better, it's, it's definitely not a fad. It's a trend because it's crossed into multiple applications and it's it's touched, you know, it's flavored chips, it's flavored sauce, it's flavored chicken patties, uh, there's sriracha buns, there's sriracha mayonnaise. It's hit on in the food world. It, it's been able to cover a lot of things um, and and apply to it. But to look back at the macro understanding of a macro trend, um, it's not it's not a lifestyle or it's it's not health and wellness that's pushing that particular flavor 
through, uh, you know, inception to, to ubiquity. It's really, you know, more of, of it just being a good flavor that people liked. And, and so macro to me is that bigger picture of, you know, a lifestyle. Some may argue that Sriracha is a lifestyle. <laughs> right, there's right. T- there's T-shirts out there that claim that, but um, you know it's not going back to you know being more grain-free or or uh, keto or vegan. You know those are lifestyles. Those are macro trends that that influence the micros in my world. Oh, okay, and then something else. You know, and I love this process because I feel like I'm kind of learning as we're talking talking this through here too. One of the other things that struck out to me is when you look at a product like like hemp. You, like you said earlier, the expansiveness of how it can cross over categories, not just categories within the food and beverage. I mean, it can be, you know, it can be snacks, it can be ingredients, it could be, you know, in drinks, it could be, you know, in, in really any type of food, but then it can also be topical, it can be oils, it can be all of these other things. And that's to me. That sounds to me like that's what also helps make it a macro versus a sriracha, where you're not going to nearly have that level of expansiveness. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I would agree with you. That's thanks for clarifying my ramblings. No, I'm <laughs> just I'm sense. just thinking. I'm, hey, this yeah. is this is this is what I love about having guys like you on the show is they make <laughs> me think about stuff that I often take for granted, and and you really kind of break it down and, and think it through. So this is really good. Uh, it's great conversation, and I'm and I think my listening audience is going to love love where this is going. So do these ever do do, do macro and micro? Um, support or compete against each other i mean how different how different are they and do they ever go, kind of go go head to head i see them really complementing each other m- most often you know it's uh you know if you're talking food or product development you know you take a look at a macro trend and then from there you can dive into the micros and apply that to whatever your specific target customer is so you know if you're trying to go after a, a retail experience and trying to bring in a new product on the shelf or freezer, wherever it's going, you know, what micro trends are they experiencing? Everybody seems to, I would say most, whether it's restaurant or retail, uh, the, the, the macro trends affect them pretty much in the same way. Uh, the micro trends are where, where I think that you can start figuring out how are you going to deliver that and, and bring that flavor to them. And is it going to be easy for them to execute on? So, um, you know, taking that, I think they complement each other is the bottom line. You know, you have the lifestyle, you know, if you're going to go grain free or if you're going to go paleo, uh, then you're going to be able to do that and use all the trending flavors to apply to that lifestyle. Makes sense. Um, When it comes to food, I mean, you hear it all the time from people. They talk, oh, that that's a really trendy food or, you know, hey, you're eating something really trendy or try this. It's the hottest trend. Um, sometimes they say fad, uh, so to speak, you know, and I, and I think that this applies even when we were talking earlier about the Atkins diet. I mean, I think, you know, fads and trend, there are certain diets that I would say are more fads than, you know, than the trend. But what, what exactly, how would you, as an expert, how would you define the difference between, you know, you know, a trend, you know, and a fad, you know, what makes a trend, a trend and not a fad? Yeah. Well, fads are, are obviously they, they come and go quickly, but they, they sizzle hot and fast. 
Um, but they really kind of hit on one one item type of deal. They don't have a lot of opportunities to to transfer themselves to multiple places. Um, one of the one of the things I've I see is a trend and fad. Um, you know, the cronut was was a fad. It was a a fusion of you know the donut and the croissant and. As cool as it was and as neat as it was, it was a fad because it's it's not in your local grocery store, bakeries. Uh, you can't go buy them frozen and bake them yourself in the, in the grocery stores, uh, and there's no other restaurants doing them. It was one one operator in New York City. Uh, he came up with a really cool concept, and he and he made the fry, you know, cronut and and sold a lot of them. Now he's looking for the next fad. <laughs> Hopefully, he finds a trend that that he can build upon. Right, right. So over the years, and I've been in the food business almost my entire life. I've worked, you know, we, you know, we do a lot of work in the CPG world, do a lot of work in, in the food service arena. In fact, I, I tell people often I cut my teeth in the food business in food service. And, and one of the things that I see all the time is this idea of crossover from food service to retail. So, so for instance, you know, Things like wings, you, you never saw those, you know, years and years ago, you never saw those in the supermarket or people doing those at home. It was something that you had when you went out to eat. And then that experience, it, it became that, that consumers wanted that experience at home as well. Same thing with sliders uh, or chicken fingers or fries. And I could go on and on and on and on. You know, hummus even, you know, we, you know, we helped launch the Sabra hummus brand. And one of the things that we found in the early in in the early research was that everybody experience everybody that had experienced hummus really did so at a restaurant and and they liked it so much that it, it started to to bridge that gap in into retail um, so I think that you know is it safe to say and I, and I don't want to use the right words that trends can start to evolve from food service and then cross over into into the CPG world. Is that is that a fair statement? And maybe you can maybe you can break that down a little bit for me and explain it a little bit better. Yeah, no, I would say it's definitely uh, a very safe statement. The majority of uh, new concepts or ideas, they tend to start in smaller independent uh, restaurants. Uh, typically, ethnic restaurants are are bringing in that new flavor or that new cooking application um, and doing something different. Uh, Wings, not so ethnic, but you know, small shop up upper state New York, uh, you know, who were doing you know chicken and called it Buffalo Wings, and uh, and it definitely kind of became the the brand name to chicken wings to order Buffalo Wings. Um, so the, most most of those trends do start in restaurants. It's that you know it's that away from home experience. Most people go out to restaurants to uh, to kind of have that experience of the ambiance as well as something they wouldn't typically attempt to make for themselves at home. And once it becomes a uh, big enough demand, food manufacturers are now trying to figure out how to take it from their food service category sales into launching it into retail and, and bringing it, bringing that big trend into the shelves. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of uh, uh, creation on the R and D side to reformulate or optimize the product. So it can work, you know, in the home kitchen and with a couple of, you know, instructions, food kits are a perfect example 
of a trend of you know going out to eat and then having it delivered to you chopped up and in, in a box and now you just toss the ingredients together. Why is this important to, to food and beverage CPG brand managers? Why is it important to them as they do their job in, in getting products out to consumers at the at the grocery at the grocery level? And not only why is it important, but how can they do a better job at spotting some of these trends that are beginning to evolve in food service and then getting that timing right in bringing it to 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 the retail world? I think it's really important for them to to pay attention to what's going on in you know the local scene around them. You know, especially if they're in a larger city. Typically, you're New York, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis. Those larger cities have a lot of great innovation going on in restaurants, and that's where they're going to get their ideas from. They're going to get inspired from them, and if they see that particular item making its way from a small one-unit restaurant. And it's starting to, you know, make its way into a larger multi-unit. And, you know, once it's made it into McDonald's or any of those other national chains that are, you know, thousands of units over, the trend is over. Uh, you know, or it doesn't mean it's dead. It just, it's 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 made its, its full cycle through what I call a mini adoption cycle that takes them from inception to where it's just starting. And how can they capture these uh, you know there's there's a lot of resources to to look at it there's a lot of things online to, to to look at if you're not familiar with where to find it you know but i would say go out and dine uh check out places explore you know when you're on business trips turn them into your own little mini you know exploratory items go out to dinner to somewhere different just don't eat at the uh you know at the hotel's uh restaurant that serves the same you know burger and french fry and those are those are ways to explore and go out. And I always do that when I go out with my customers. Is you know, let's go somewhere different. Um, check out Yelp. Look at look at the the reviews and look at the pictures. Does it entice you? You know, does it get you excited to go there? Um, and then what are they serving? You know, is it anything exciting? And and that's where you go and you explore and you try. It. You've got to taste things to understand them yeah, yeah. In, in this world. Yeah. And, <laughs> you actually have to eat it. Yeah, and, and you're being a little bit humble here, so I'm going to give you a plug too, but I think working with, with someone like you, you know, or a group like yours who who really lives in both worlds and working in that capacity of innovation and learning what what do we want to go to market with next and constantly having stuff in the pipeline, like, like, like someone like you could help CPG brands uh, identify some things that, that, that could be coming in the next few years and you get them in the pipeline so that you're working on them so that when and if they do cross over, you're ready to go and you're not in a, in a one-year cycle now to actually develop products. I mean, I think, you know, innovation in and of itself, we work with a lot of companies in, in that space of innovation. And I just think that having a process in that is so, so important in working with professionals like you to take it to the next level. I mean, how many, you, you would just cringe and you probably experience the same thing. I work with so many companies where, you know, their idea of taste testing something is, is gathering a, a handful of the employees or the executives around the table. Hey, what do you think of this? Taste this. What do you think of this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's crazy. And you're I'm I'm talking multi-million or even billion dollar organizations that are still doing doing work like that. 
Yeah, yeah. Sensory evaluation and, you know, doing it internally is nice for your first step. You've got to take it beyond your own four walls. Uh, You know, testing in that format and and walking you through that process is is really a lot easier, Um, you know, and and there's some great organizations that do the sensory testing. Um, But again, it's got to be cooked, prepared. It's got to be moderated. And and I appreciate you, you plugging, you know, going out to work on this kind of stuff. Realize national chain account business, they're a year and a half out in their innovation pipeline, minimum. Uh, you know, I partake in group functions of chef councils at these restaurants, and we're working hand in hand with the other other chefs, and we're talking chef to chef because we're talking about food, and no matter you know what what comes down to this, you know. You, Chefs talk, chef talk. We, we've been uh, trained in that way so that when we're talking about textures or cooking applications, we can help drive in the innovation process something as simple as cooking butter uh, to a point of browning it uh, and creating a brown butter sauce and, and, and stopping that cooking process by squeezing, you know, in an R&D lab, they'd say put some acid on it. We're, we're squeezing lemon on it. I know lemon's acidic, but that's a actually a real example of, of a, a lemon brown butter sauce that we created for a frozen vegetable that went into CPG um, just this past year. And, you know, the, the R&D lab's like, oh, I've never cooked my butter that far. You know, they were never been exposed to that cooking process. And it was a very traditional culinary process, but it actually pushed their flavor boundaries way beyond where they've been. And it turned into be a really, really great product. And, you know, the, the dark tones of roasted butter, the milk solids, caramelized, and then the, 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 the touch of the acid that, that helped lift the flavors really, really created a beautiful sauce that they wouldn't have had if we didn't explore and look at, you know, some of the data around, first of all, why are we looking at this? Because it's actually penetrating menus. And, and two, here's how it's made in a restaurant. Now let's Let's make sure it works in your plant processing because that story for the national retailer who took it is they want to understand, you know, why these flavors are are critical. And we're working with food and food itself in general. We're not reinventing new Brussels sprouts uh, or, or, or a new cheese or anything else. You know, a lot of the foods are already there. We're just adding flavors and texture and components and applications that excite the audience or your purchasers to to stop and pick up the product and, and take it home. And that's half of the battle right there is getting getting retailers and buyers excited about something so that they take it in. Yeah, you know, one of the ways, uh, if I can share, is uh, absolutely you know, taking, take, taking a, an example of. LTO. LTO isn't so common in the in the retail world, but in restaurants, that means for limited time offerings. So you see something on the marquee at a restaurant or their menu, and it's a special, and it's 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 out just for four to six weeks. Those types of um, concepts are are heavily tested, and and by the time it's a national rollout, you know it's only going to be out there for for four to six weeks, but um, taking those ideas that they've already tested is a great way to leverage that into the retail world. And 
I, I, I have been talking to retailers and, and suggesting, you know, that they think of their counters as more of a restaurant because when you have the opportunity to talk to your customers and give them one idea beyond just, you know, okay, I can scoop this out of you, for you out of the deli box and hand you your, your tub of coleslaw, uh, is there anything else I can get you? It's not just going to get you anything else. You know, maybe it's it's a recipe idea of the week or or something of the month, and your own LTO at that deli counter that cross promotes your bakery, that cross promotes into the aisle instead of the perimeter of the store where you go get that special item that's going to be a part of something that's in the recipe that started at the deli, and you get each of your stare, you know, each of your spots in the in the grocery store to talk like they're a, a restaurant. To some degree, uh, you're, you're elevating customer service, you're enticing your customers with new concepts, and you're cross-promoting your own product, especially if it's your own private label, which just means more increased sales. Makes total sense. Don't want to put you on the spot here, but what are, what are some, of, some of the hottest trends that you see coming up this year or even next year or, or the years beyond? Um, some of them have been really pushing the boundaries for a while. Uh, you know, Latin foods continue to grow Latin infused flavors. And even within, um, you know, their, their nomenclature of what you call it can make a difference. You know, if you talk, um, salsa verde and tomatilla, for example, you know, both of them are very well recognized. The ingredients are identical, uh, (laughs) which is kind of crazy, but you know, typically ones used in a, in a warmer application, you know, the tomatilla versus salsa verde. Um, but it's a green, green salsa, right? And, um, you know, if you look at the numbers across the nation in penetration of acceptance of it, uh, tomatilla is less known or less accepted as opposed to salsa verde. Um, I think just because the name salsa is attached to it, and and trying to figure out just one word verde if you don't understand you know the Latin language to know green, uh, it's got two three points higher in penetration of of popularity across the whole U.S. So you know being able to name things properly is is just as as critical when you're looking at what's going to be hot and new. Other hot things are hot peppers. There's always a new pepper out there almost every year. And um, one of the other pieces I think that was most interesting, I came back from uh, a lot of conventions, but this year I just attended the Research Chefs Association convention. And probably the most exciting thing to me was was beverages and non-alcoholic beverages and the mindset of the millennials who are going towards less sugary drinks and non-alcoholic beverages, and where else can they get best influenced by that but by the Middle Eastern countries who actually outlaw alcohol anyhow. So they've got a tremendous amount of, of options to look at and influence our menus from their beverage habits already. You know, things with uh, herbal and floral essence to it and just simplicity of ingredients as well. Let's play a little game. I don't. I, sometimes I think I don't have enough fun on this show, so we're going to have some fun on this show. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw you out a, a, a few words, and you respond just single words. Well, maybe maybe a few of them will have like two words in them. But you tell me <laughs> right off the cuff whether you think it's a it's a macro trend or a micro trend or just a flat out fad. How's that sound? I'll, I'll give it my best. Let's try. <laughs> All right, here we go. Keto. Um, macro. Vegan. 
Uh, macro. Himalayan salt. Micro. Veggie chips. Mm, micro. Kombucha. I, I'd love that kombucha. Great stuff, but it's also a micro trend. Oh, wow. So what? Yeah, I'm going to stop, but, stop but the I, game. Time out of the game here. <laughs> the rest call it a timeout. So. I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's the, the whole fermentation process around it. That's just what um, I was going to say is this, whole gut, is, is this whole gut thing more of the macro trend and the kombucha is just a, just a piece of that. Exactly. That? You've been listening. You've been I listening. Have. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a quick learner. <laughs> All right. I get it. Here we go. It, is, it, it fits into that macro trend of better for you, uh, you know, and, and things that health and wellness that help you on a larger scale. But kombucha is just one component or delivery of way to do that. Uh, you know, the, the Asians are very well known for fermenting their foods for centuries and having this kind of food as, as, as the way of their eating in general. But they don't drink everything in kombucha. They actually, you know, they eat and chew, and they do it to a lot of different things. Yeah, that's a great way of breaking it down. So back to the game. Gluten, okay. Gluten-free. Uh, gluten-free. It fits in the health and wellness. Um, it's, a, it's a micro-trend. Flavored water. Also a micro-trend. Superfoods. Superfoods. It's been out there a long time. Um, that one, again, they, they fall back into that macro better for you uh, because there's no really, uh, you know, you're not seeing the superfood sandwich. You're not seeing a superfood beverage. It's 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 a category of weird berries and things that people don't don't know how to uh, pronounce. Agreed. Typically. <laughs> and you mentioned this one before. Flexitarian. Yeah. Macro trend. Plant based. Uh, also macro trend. And finally, cold brew. Um, micro trend. Yeah, and you know what? You know, cold brew is one of those things, too, that, 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 you know, it came on the scene, there was a couple of them, and then it just exploded. And every time you turn around, somebody else is coming up with a new cold brew, and it kind of reached this point of saturation, but it still seems to be going for some reason. No pun intended, right? Saturation, yeah. Yeah. saturation yeah, yeah. on cold brew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, okay, that was fun. <laughs> So back to business here. Um, okay. <laughs> you, you've got a cool new product that we were talking about uh, called the, the Food Trend Tour. Tell me a little bit about it, um, what it is, how it works, why why it's so different. Uh, yeah, no, the, the Food Trend Tour, you know, the Trend Tour itself in general, let me preface, is, is not a new idea. But what I've taken the Food Trend Tour is to a new level, and I've added some really cool components that makes it, something that is is beyond your average trend tour. And what we've done is we've broken the trend tour into three different levels that you can experience. Um, you know, often uh, you go out to try to do, if you do a trend tour on your own and, and they're fun, you should try it. Um, you know, discovering, looking for the places, you know, figuring out what you're going to order in, in advance and and then trying to document all this and, and then turn it into something that um, that means something rather than just, you know, you took the team out and everyone tasted eight different things and they're full. Uh, it doesn't doesn't benefit you in the, in the sales process. So the purpose of my food trend tour concept is to really drive sales by exploring what it is you're specifically trying to uh, find new ways to use a product. If it's, if it's an existing product or you're going out for new product development and 
showing you how it's being used in the independent restaurant operator and discovering why that trend's applicable to your product and then showing you ways to use it. Uh, and there's a little bit extra added to that. And, and we do a lot of things like social listening. We talk to the the guests. We, we read what the guests are, are yelping and reviewing online with all the social media platforms. We talk to the, uh, the operators themselves and find out you know, why did you pick this product and, and why is it doing so well? What are people saying? And and so we add a few, a few of those components to it. And then we layer all that together by capturing it on, on film and video. And you walk away with an actual video of your trend tour, which can be turned into so many different opportunities, whether you're an in-store operator and you want to kind of show that, you know, to your guest at the at the deli counter or the bakery counter, you know, what's influenced your your concepts behind this this month's LTO or this this concept that you're you're pushing. Uh, these are great ways to demonstrate that. These are great internal, uh, you know, presentations to show or and they're fantastic to put on your social media account. So. Turning it into a video is is the the whole beautiful point of this food trend tour. So taking concepts or ideas into concepts that are really easy and actionable and allow you to tie it to the trends, to me that's really, really important. If you don't have a trend to to tie it to, it's difficult for sales to talk to their customers about the relevancy if they're not the chef who created it. Uh, the chefs can talk all day long about why it tastes good and what the mouthfeel is. So this gives you a, a video presentation. Video is hot on top of it. It's it's a macro trend in the world of marketing and advertising, and uh, it's it's broken out of the world of TV and it's hit your computer screen. And you know there's so much more penetration and people stopping to look at that. So adding that component to a food trend tour is uh, is really an exceptional way to, to experience it and not have to leave your desk, just leave all the heavy lifting up to us. Yeah, those those sizzle videos, I find, just help sell innovation and ideas through. I mean, it gets people excited about it. You can you can walk, you know, you can walk away saying, wow, that, that's a super cool idea. Let's let's keep moving on that. Yeah, it's, and you know, a lot of people come back and use it, you know, on a quarterly basis or biannual, um, and it and it really helps. Depends on how how innovative your company is and how fast you're moving on projects, um, but it can it can be the starting process or it can be, uh, you know, if you're stuck in in your innovation process and you need that extra push, it's another way to to get that inspiration. So this is this has been a, a great show. I mean, I really, really love where this show went, and I know my audience is going to be super excited to listen to it. But before, so before we wrap it up and sign off, Dan, uh, give a quick overview of your business and how you can help food and beverage brand managers and professionals. Just you know, you know, it, it, it's your it's your time to to give give a selfless plug of yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So basically. Fallacy Culinary Consulting has Food Trend Translator as our way of speaking to food in in basing it on trends, helping you create actionable applications that can be so easy to execute. One of the things you, you have to realize is you're talking to national chains specifically. They go through a make process on their line and they will kill a concept, even though it's made it so far, when it comes to the actual execution 
on their make line. Taco Bell, KFC, um, you know, those guys, two, three seconds too long, the idea's gone and your your product's gone. So what we think about the, during the whole process of helping you with your product, launching it into the market by vision of culinary application is not making that product or the application overcomplicated. It's got to be simple. It's got to be steeped in trends, and it's got to have some basic classic culinary applications that can be performed at all levels. And that goes equally so for retail because, you know, people aren't going to pick up a product in the grocery store and start whipping up, a, you know, like they're a chef. If they believe they're a chef doing that, fantastic. But it's, it's you know, one of the challenges with meal kits, you know, is, is all right, um, this is kind of confusing. How much do I do this? They're almost looking for it to be done all, all for them. So maybe, you know, one, a one pot kind of deal. So helping transform the, the products into applications that are really, really easy to create and make sure that they're based on trends is how we help support you through the process of delivering products into your, your customers' hands. Yeah, I'm look, I'm a big, big believer in innovation. I mean, we've been working in that space for for, for decades, and I think, and I'm also a big, big believer in, in having a process in place and having people in place that that can drive that process for you. And too many companies, they just kind of, you know, have it piled along with someone else's job. Hey, do all this, manage all this, and by the way, you know, kit, you know, keep going with some innovative things. And it just, you just don't get the best stuff by doing that. I think that, you know, working with someone like you, working with a professional group that has a process where you're continually having things in the, in the pipeline is just, it's setting companies, setting brands up for success down, down the road. So I'm a big believer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we align team with flavors, you know, of culinary and the power of trends and help them drive that into the presentation so it makes the sale. Yep, yep. Dan, uh, it's been a great show. I appreciate you coming on. Um, We'll have to do it again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show. I I really, really appreciate every one of you who listens in. I don't take it for granted. Um, You know, I want to hear from you on what you think of the show today. Um, And please subscribe to the Pepper Podcast on iTunes. And if you feel so inclined, give me that five-star rating. Um, If you want to reach out to me, uh, my email is jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at olibach.com. See you again next week. You've been listening to Jamie Allabach on the Peppered Podcast, where we bring seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. Let's grow your brand together.